Tonight's reading is from uh, 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. And if it's not, stop me now. <laughs> Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves with the same attitude, because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. As a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They think it's strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation, and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead so that they might be judged according to men in regard to the body, but to live according to God in regard to the spirit. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Well, thanks, Nat. Beautifully read. Now, I was said at the beginning of the service, we've been looking at the book of 1 Peter, so we're going to plow on with that tonight. And I was preparing what I was going to say tonight on Wednesday. I had my eldest boy off school, and so I was in the kitchen. I'm not, I don't normally work there. I was in the kitchen. Uh, he came in. I had a Bible open. He said, Dad, is that a Bible? I said, yes, it's a Bible. He said, what are you doing? I said, I'm preparing a talk for Sunday. And uh, he said, what are those other books? I said, oh, they're, they're commentaries. They help me sort of understand what the, what the words are saying. And uh, he went, wow, that sounds incredibly boring. <laughs> I don't know how you found uh, 1 Peter, going through the book of 1 Peter. I think it's far from boring. And so we're going to jump in tonight. I don't know how you'd summarize those verses if you had to come up with a couple of summary statements. I've come up with these. I've got two things, I think, summary statements of what Peter is saying here. The first thing Peter seems to say in the first chunk between verses 1 and 6 is, you know, focus, don't drift whatever you do, and don't fritter your life away. Focus, he would say if he was standing here, don't drift and don't fritter your life away. It's very, very easy, isn't it, to uh, fritter your life away, I want to suggest. I'm quite an expert at frittering uh, my own life away, and I read a thing from uh, a Tom Wright, if you know Tom Wright, former Bishop of Durham, he was saying, actually, you know, there's so much out there, so much information available to us. It's so easy just to sort of get distracted 
and actually spend time doing stuff that uh, actually uh, can be a waste of time or even spend time on stuff that we don't really want to do. And it sounds a bit sort of, oh gosh, this sounds a bit heavy. But he said, you know, there's so much television out there. You can watch it all day, every day, 24 hours a day. Uh, not all of it's fantastic, you know, but you can do that. He said, uh, there are magazines, there's all sorts of stuff you can get absorbed in. And I do this myself. And then he said, of course, on social media as well. He said, social media is great, but you know, you can actually get a lot. You can spend hours on Facebook, can't you? And just basically, you can end up actually uh, wasting quite a lot of time. As I say, he's not being down on TV, on magazines, or, or Facebook, or Google. I don't know about you. I, I often sort of get an idea in my head. I Google it, and then it goes on to something else. I Google that. Blah, blah, blah. Two hours have passed. I think, gosh, you know, that's completely irrelevant. I mean, where's the time gone? Peter would say, actually, you know, as you think about who God is, what God has done in your life, whatever you do, focus, don't drift or fritter your life away. Because as human beings, we have this tendency uh, to drift. And he basically in this passage makes all sorts of recommendations for how we can really focus. And the first thing he says is, be done with sin, verse 1. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. Sin is this sort of slightly heavy word, this almost old-fashioned word, but it's all that behavior, all those attitudes that actually dislocates our relationship with God, dislocates our relationship with other people, uh, our relationship with ourselves, our relationship with our creation. Thoroughly destructive. Peter says, be done with all that sort of stuff. And it's not like when we come to faith, we become perfect, we sort of battle on, but he says, just be done with that. He says, if you're going to actually really make the most of your life, live for God, verse 2. He says, live for God. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. So he says, you know, if you're going to focus, if you're going to make the most of your life, put God first. Put God in the center of your life. Make him number one. And actually, keep making him Number one, you know, it's not something we do once uh, when we respond to Jesus. Actually, we have to keep making choices each day to put him first, put him in the center of our lives. And that's not always the easiest thing to do. But this is the call. Each day we need to say, no, actually, God, I'm, I'm going your way. Actually, God, I'm not going to do that. I know you don't really want me to do that. I'm going to make this decision. You know, God, I'm not going to say something to that person because I know it's not right before you. I'm going your way. I'm putting you first. And actually, I want to focus and each day make the most of what you've done and what you've given me. And Peter's reasoning goes something like this. He says, you know, he's writing, remember, to groups of people who have recently come to faith. And so we have to remember that as we read these words. But he says that his reasoning is, you know, be done with sin because you've wasted so much time already doing all that stuff. You put so much energy there. And actually, you know, you've given it enough time. You've done all of that. So he says in verse 3, for you've spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. And Peter says these things are just destructive. You, you've done that. You've, you've got the T-shirt. You've been to Ayanapa and Ibiza. You've done it. Just actually uh, live differently. Those words, you know, 
debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies. It sounds a bit full on, doesn't it? <laughs> uh, but actually, there's quite a lot of that around, isn't there? And, um, you know, I've got some old university mates, and we try and have reunions, stay in touch. It's been great coming back from New Zealand, just being able to reconnect with them. And uh, one of them said, hey, let's all go to Lord's for the day. So I thought, okay, let's go to Lord's. And I have to say, uh, it was this debauched affair. Uh, the guys I used to uh, uh, live with at university were quite debauched, but they basically uh, all got absolutely ratted. The whole of the Lord's hospitality wing got absolutely ratted. I'm not just talking like a couple of drinks. I'm talking like they're drinking 10, 15 pints, you know, bottles of champagne. They're literally walking around like this, all these merchant bankers, and doctors and accountants, absolutely wrecked. Come four o'clock, they're sort of trying to have a go at their secretaries and start flirting with them, see what happens there. And it's just this, this drunken thing and this sort of crazy thing. And um, one of my mates, he, the last I saw him actually, he was being escorted off the grounds by two security guards who were so drunk. So either you let us take you off the site or the police. We're going to have to call the police. So there's a lot of this sort of stuff uh, that still happens today. And I don't want to sound all a holy Joe or anything, but actually, uh, you know, uh, it's a reality. We can get distracted. We can get into all of this stuff. There's temptation out there. Now, I remember uh, many, many years ago, actually, um, with going away on a holiday to France, and uh, I was 17, you know what that age is like, experimenting, doing all sorts of stuff. I'm not a Christian. And basically, um, we are on a train going to London. You know, it's a train. There's other people on the cash. We're telling stories of what we've been doing on holiday, you know, all the sort of parties, all the wild living, all that sort of stuff. And we get to King's Cross, and uh, we get off the train. I'll never forget this. A guy, a middle-aged guy, came over and said, um, excuse me, boys, uh, have you got a couple of minutes? I'd like to speak to you. We're sort of like, this is a bit strange. So we go over, we stand by the platform, and uh, he says, look, I just heard you talking. I heard, I heard um, what uh, you're, you've been up to. And can I just say, do not waste your life in sin. Can I urge you not to waste your life in sin? And uh, Chris, the oldest guy who was with us, told him where to go in two short words. Um, we, we all sort of burst out laughing, and off we went. But actually, those words really stayed with me. And uh, uh, they were quite pivotal, actually, in me coming to faith uh, a, few, um, a couple of years later, actually. So Peter's saying, guys, look, you've come to faith. Something extraordinary has happened. God has done amazing things. And, you know, in life, there's a temptation to drift, to waste your life. Don't do that. Just focus and follow me. And there's realism here, too, because Peter says, you know, if you do change, if you do follow uh, the God life, if you make God the priority, your old friends aren't going to like it, verse 4. They are surprised that you don't join them in their reckless, wild living, and they heap Abuse on you. Join them has this sense of running after meaningless pleasure in a sort of crazy kind of way. And uh, basically, uh, the abuse that's referred to here is verbal abuse. You know, if you don't join in with people, if you don't, Peter's saying, you know, you'll probably get some stick from your friends, from the people who are around you. If you go for this God life, uh, it is different, and some people will 
give you uh, a bit of grief for it. And that was my experience. I listened to that guy on that platform uh, in London. A few years later, I came to faith, and I got a lot of abuse when I came a Christian. And it was sort of, uh, oh, Mike, what's happened to you? You used to be so much fun. Uh, oh, gosh, you used to be, you've gone all serious. Oh, Mike, you know, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And you get, a, get abuse from these people. So Peter is trying to set some expectations of what it is to follow God, the radically different way that actually we are to live and actually some of the consequences of doing so. And Peter says, but don't worry about that. Don't worry about them because they're going to face judgment too, verse 5 and 6. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached, even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. So he says, as you think about these things, as you think about what you're doing with your life, with the choices you're making, and these are real issues, uh, don't forget the heavenly eternal perspective. Don't forget who it is you are caught up with. Don't forget that actually we're all going to stand before God and be judged by him. As Christians, you know, when we come to Jesus, we have this extraordinary privilege of being forgiven. There is no condemnation. But we all have to uh, have that um, prospect at some point in time. And so Peter says, you know, stay following God. Don't waste your life. And actually, do uh, God stuff, which is creative, it's generative, it's productive. And don't waste your life on all this stuff. And Peter isn't a prude. He's not going, no, 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 no. He's not a sort of judgmental, all these people are horrible. No, 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 no. He wants God's people to find life and life to the full. And so this is what's going on here. He wants us to find life and life to the full. So that's my first attempt at summarizing the first six verses. Don't waste your life Focus, engage, keep making choices. And in the church, too, we can drift, can't we? We can drift away from God. We can just turn up and forget, actually, that we're called to live this life, to make radical choices and to press in and pursue God. Secondly, I want to suggest tonight, Peter says, if you're going to put God first, it doesn't just happen. It doesn't just happen. You have to be practical intentional, and you have to prioritize things. You know, the other great difficulty for us as people is we don't just drift and drift into stuff and so we actually also potentially dream. And we have all these ideas, we have all these intentions. I've got, I'm full of them. And uh, actually, if we don't get practical and put the nuts and bolts in, actually, they remain just dreams, daydreams. Peter says, actually, you've got to be practical. And he mentions all sorts of things here. So he says, be prayerful, verse 7. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Now, prayer makes a massive difference. Prayer is phenomenally powerful. I spoke at the 9 o'clock service this morning. Uh, someone came up to me and said, just tell everyone as well. Don't forget to remind people that prayer is a privilege. Being in relationship with God is a phenomenal, phenomenal privilege. Peter never lost sight of the wonder of Jesus Christ, of the difference Jesus had made to him, of the grace he experienced following him. And so he's a man of prayer. Now, 
I don't know about you, hands up if you've nailed your prayer life. Oh dear. Uh, I feel uh, I'm a terrible prayer. I just feel I struggle in prayer. I feel I'm not good at it. And I got slightly disillusioned last year and I stopped praying. Don't tell anyone, by the way. I just was really, really struggling. And I just thought, God, I cannot keep doing this. And for a couple of months last year, I was just uh, not praying at all. And what was fascinating, this strange experience, was actually really, really powerful because it reminded me that prayer makes a massive difference. If you think about it, if you're doing your life connected with God, that makes a phenomenal difference in relationship with God, walking closely to God. That's very different to if you aren't. And I also noticed when I didn't pray, uh, things didn't happen. And when I didn't pray, my family was slightly different. And when I didn't pray, uh, the church stuff was different. I'm not sort of saying it's all my prayer life, by the way. You know what I'm saying. Um, And all that sort of stuff. So can I encourage you, if you've lost your way in prayer, to press in. Peter would say, be prayerful if you want to put God first. He'd also say in verse 8, be loving. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Of sins. Now, Peter's really saying, you know, when you leave your old life, you know, and seek to put God first, it's important that you choose love. If you had to summarize the whole thing, the Bible, God, it's love. That's what it's about. And actually, uh, a better translation of this phrase, love each other deeply, is love each other earnestly. And he says, love covers a multitude of sins, which is a quote from Proverbs 10, 12. And uh, it doesn't mean it sort of hides stuff and uh, conceals stuff, love. But actually, what it says is that if we extend love to each other, and he's talking to people, fellow Christians, by the way, at this point in time, Day by day, hour by hour, minute by minute, actually, that's phenomenally powerful. And love transforms situations. Uh, It's creative. It is powerful. And it makes a massive difference. And actually, uh, it's just very, very important to remember this call to love. If you look at church history, Christians have fallen out repeatedly. And uh, there's been schisms. Uh, There have been groups splintering off. There's been other denominations. There's all sorts of stuff. We struggle to do this. And yet Peter would say, whatever you do, love one another. Because it's it's very easy, isn't it, to get a bit offended. Have you noticed that as a Christian? Offended or a bit petty or a bit... It it easily happens, but we have to actually extend love and grace to one another. I did a parenting course. Has anyone got children here? A few of you. I don't know about you, how you feel your parenting is going. I always feel like a terrible parent. I feel like a... I just feel like a terrible parent. So I basically uh, did this parenting course. It was run here, actually, and uh, it was like this circle of security parenting course. It was uh, Annabelle ran it. It was absolutely brilliant. And one of the concepts is that if you want to, your children to know that you love them, actually, as a parent, the concept is you have to be bigger, you have to be wiser, you have to be stronger, and you have to be kinder as a person. You need to be bigger. You need to be wiser. You need to be stronger and kinder. 
uh, if your children are really to know you, love them. And in life, it's so easy, isn't it, to become smaller and a bit petty over all sorts of stuff. This isn't just uh, in, in a parenting context, in the church and in the workplace, in our families. It's easy to become uh, petty, isn't it, and be a bit small-minded. It's easy to become a bit foolish and sort of gut reactions and say stuff you don't mean. It's easy to become a bit weak and mean, isn't it? It's, it's just easily done. It takes something to love people and be bigger, stronger, wiser, and kinder. And this is what uh, Peter would call us to. It's an absolute powerful thing when we do that at university, when you do that, in your lodgings, when you do that, at school, when you do that. Uh, it's powerful when you extend love and grace to people. It's creative, and it changes things. Peter goes on and says, also do be hospitable, verse 9. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. And actually, Peter talks quite a lot about hospitality. He says one tangible expression of love is hospitality. And have you noticed, it's a bit weird, isn't it? If you actually have a meal with someone, what happens? Something happens. Do you agree with that? Something powerful quite happens if you eat food with people round a table. It's, it's, it's powerful. And Jesus himself actually seems to uh, spend a lot of his time eating with people and going to parties and, and socializing with people, uh, often the wrong sorts of people. And actually, Peter says, you know, as Christians, I hope you're getting one another around for dinner. I hope you're going out for lunch. I hope you're just having a good time together and getting to know one another, and offering hospitality to one another without grumbling. Do you ever grumble when you offer hospitality? Do you ever go, what's in the diary? Oh my God, I can't believe it, we've got them coming. You know, oh my God, Mike and Bex are coming for dinner. Oh God, why did you invite them? You know, or, um, you know, why did you spend so much money on dinner tonight? Or da 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 But we're to extend hospitality, according to Peter, uh, without grumbling. Peter also goes on, he says, use your gifts, verse 10. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. And we've talked a lot about this in the church, haven't we? About knowing what our heartbeat is. What are our gifts? You know, what is God calling us to do? What gifts do we have? And are we going to go and use these? And I think... Uh, it's staggering how many people who've been following God, following God a long time, don't know what their gifts are. And Peter would have none of this. He'd say we need to be clear on who we are, what we're about, and what God has given us. I'm in a little men's group at the moment, and we're doing this sort of thing where we're all saying, uh, what are our, our vision, our gifts, all that sort of stuff. And because we're English, it's a painful experience, isn't it? It's like, what's your gifts? Oh, no, 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 I don't have any gifts. And uh, I had to do it. And I got all sort of nervous about the whole thing. You know, it's like, I thought, my gifts are, mm, mm, mm. And it was all very embarrassing. Uh, and then a bit squirmy. And then I'm just really, I went first. So I'm really just enjoying it now, watching other people really squirm as they have to say how God has gifted them. But could you please turn to the person next to you and just say, you know, you are gifted by God. So we're all gifted, okay? 
Are you using your gifts? Are you using the gifts God has given you? Now, the context here seems to be about spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are talents or abilities which are empowered by the Holy Spirit and used in the ministry of the church. Peter, you'll notice in this verse, says you've got at least one. I often feel I don't have any gifts, but at least I remember thinking, oh, great, I've got one. And uh, actually, there are all sorts of gifts. There are about four or five lists of spiritual gifts in the New Testament. Uh, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, there's two there, Ephesians 4, 1 Peter uh, as well has another one. So, so actually, there's a number of lists of gifts. So we don't just have one. We've probably got lots of them. And also, the lists we see in the New Testament are not exhaustive. And actually, you know, one thing uh, that's important to remember is that we're called to be stewards of our gifts and faithfully use them and actually step out and use them. And so Jesus himself, doesn't he? Peter would have been there. He tells stories about the parable of the talents and using what God has given you. And how actually, if you just do something little, you get a massive return. And um, actually, there's a temptation just to play it safe, play it cautious, and do anything. And actually, we have to avoid that. Now, why do we have to avoid being cautious in the gift department? We have to avoid being cautious in the gift department because when we use our gifts, other people are encouraged. That's the point. We bless other people when we use our gifts. And actually, you can turn lives around if you use the gifts God has given you. You can impact people's lives in a very powerful and deep way if you lose your gift, if you, if you use your gifts. And if you don't, you'll miss those opportunities. And if you don't, there'll be people who'll be less whatever than if you had. So can I encourage you to use your gifts? And I would say, love Guildford, this thing coming up. Pete's going to say about this in a, a bit about this in a minute. But it's an opportunity to try out some gifts and use some gifts. And no matter what your gift is, you always have to use it in weakness. This is one of the really annoying things about God. Uh, you'll never feel you've got it sorted. You'll never feel um, actually, uh, yeah, I'm on top of my game. I can do this. Uh, you always feel inadequate and slightly like you're walking on frozen ice and you might fall through any time. But actually, God's power is released through our weakness. So let's be people who use our gifts and know our gifts. We're going to be talking a bit more about that as a church. The other thing Peter says, and we're sort of drawing uh, to a close now, a couple of final things, is that he does say, don't just use your gifts with enthusiasm and faithfulness. He also says, use them with great reverence and care, verse 11. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. This reference to speaking at the beginning of verse 11 doesn't just mean when you're preaching or teaching or when you're doing something like that. Actually, when, whenever you're speaking in any context, in the office, in your family, socially, and you're using your gifts, do so with reverence uh, and care. And also, uh, you'll notice, and I think I want to end with this, this is the most important thing, we do all this in the strength that God provides, if you see that uh, at the end of verse 11. You know, Peter's call, just going back to where we started, to actually go for it, to focus, not to waste our life, be intentional, be God followers who really, really go for it. It can sound like this sort of striving thing or this sort of... <laughs> 
gosh, it's all about effort, it's all about my own strength. Actually, what's utterly remarkable about God is he empowers his people and he gives his people uh, the ability to live the life he's calling us to lead, to exercise our gifts in the power of the Holy Spirit. And sometimes Bex and I, you know, don't know whether you do this, we sometimes talk, we look back and we think, oh my goodness, how did we ever get through that season of life? Or, oh my goodness, we were, how on earth did we ever manage just to scrape through and keep going at that point in time as we were following God or doing whatever we're doing? And we often just look back with great awe that actually it's God's power who has strengthened us. It's God himself who has encouraged us, God himself who's enabled us uh, to keep going. And so don't hear this as some sort of big, long to-do list. Please don't hear this as a striving thing. Hear this as an exciting proposition to find life, life to the full, in the power of the Holy Spirit. And you will see remarkable things. You will see absolutely remarkable things, as you already have done so. Hands up if you've seen God doing remarkable things as you've used your gifts. Or look around the room. That's most of you. So this isn't just words on a page. This isn't just sort of theory. This is practice. And the more we engage in this stuff, the more we go for this stuff, the more remarkable things we'll see. And that's why this wasn't boring. The word of God never is.